so just so you uh, know, we've been doing a series over the last uh, few weeks uh, going through the Ten Commandments. Uh, and today we've got to the third of the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to read, I always read the preface first, the beginning of the, uh, the commandment, and then the actual commandment. So it says in Exodus 20 and verse uh, 1 and 2, God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So first of all, God says, before I give you these commands, let me remind you that I have saved you. You're not going to be saved by obeying these commandments. I've already delivered you out of Egypt. And now this is how I want you to live as my people. And he then gives us the Ten Commandments. And so we're looking at the third of these, which is in verse seven. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will hold uh, anyone guilt. Sorry, the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless for misusing His name. Now, when we think about the law, the Ten Commandments, of course, we can think that they sound a little bit strict. The Ten Commandments, and we can think that they sound quite restrictive. But actually, the Bible says that God's law is holy and it's spiritual and it's good. It actually reflects God's perfect character. So whenever we obey one of God's commandments, it triggers in us more of the image of God. It, it kind of reveals something of what God is like when we do what he says. So if we are faithful uh, in our marriages, or if we're loving, or if we're pure, if we follow these commands, we reveal something of who God is. It reveals his image in us. Now, as we look at the Ten Commandments, I think that we can have two extremes as we look at them. The first is to be complacent. So when we think of the Ten Commandments, we just think, oh, well, I don't know. I don't need to bother with them. And we're just complacent. It doesn't matter at all whether I obey them and we're complacent or we think that we're doing fine and we're not disobeying them. The other extreme, though, which is equally unhealthy, is condemnation. When we look at the commands and we think, oh, no, I'm useless. I'm rubbish. I'm not living up to any of these. And we just feel permanently condemned and useless. Now, instead of complacency and instead of condemnation, the best approach is to look to Christ. So as we look at the commands and then we realize that, yes, we are sinners and yes, we have failed. But then we look to Christ and we realize that he was the sinless one who didn't fail. And we receive his forgiveness and his righteousness. As I've said, it's a little bit like when you look in a mirror. So you're going to go to church and you're, you've had your jam on toast. And then as you're walking out the door, you look in the mirror quick and you just see, oh, no, you've got jam all over your face. The mirror reveals what you what you look like. And in the same way, the law reveals to us, oh, no, I thought I was OK until I saw what God wants me to be like. And now, oh, no, I'm pretty dirty. Now. How do we respond to that? Well, the mirror drives us to the water where we wash ourselves. So we think, quick, oh, I need to wash. I need to get clean. And in the same way, as we look into the perfect mirror of the law, we see our sin. 
It drives us to Christ, the water who can wash us, who can cleanse us and make us righteous. So that's the right way for us to approach these commands. Now, as we look at this third command, do not take the name of the Lord in vain or do not misuse his name. We can think, well, this is an easy one. Now, actually, I would say that I have, as I've dug into this command and really studied it, I've realized that it's actually a very searching command and that we probably do fall short in many ways of this command. So let's dig in. What does this command actually mean? And it says, of course, not to take the name of the Lord in vain. So names, of course, these days we often kind of just think of names as just a label that we attach to someone. But in the biblical times, a name carried a lot of meaning. So a name really told us a lot about the person and about their character. I mean, I don't know if you know what your name means. Um, does anybody know what their name means, just out of interest? Joseph, do you know, what does your name mean? God Ants. God, God Ants. Fantastic. Um, Henny, tell, we'd be intrigued to know what your name means. Say again. Oh, Pet, your birth name is Petrus, which is rock. Okay. Although Henny itself, I'm told, is a Dutch and German name derived from Heimerich, which uh, means sovereign of the homeland. So uh, did you know that? He's surprised. He is sovereign of the homeland, everybody. Uh, and, and Jenny, yeah, big head. <laughs> Everyone's calling Lord from now on. Jenny, do you know what your name means? Jennifer? Oh, okay. Um, well, I think it means the fair one. There you are, see? So the fair one and the lord of the homeland. I mean, these two are serious. Um, I mean, does anyone know anyone else know their names? Mike? One like God. Sorry? One like God. Michael, that's, that's fantastic, isn't it? Any other names here? Yeah, Dave? Beloved. Beloved, awesome. Charlotte? Well, Charlotte's lost for Jane, and Jane's gracious. God is gracious, Jane. Uh, Welsh for Jane. God is gracious. There we are. I think Jane's in the room. God is gracious. Fantastic. That's very good. Uh, Joyce, what about you? Pardon? Oh, fantastic. Okay. Right. Brilliant. I, I gather I think my name might, might mean um, courageous or manly or something. I, um, I mean... Uh, <laughs> Uh, what, what can I say? Um, let, let's, let's move on. Okay, but our names do carry meaning. In, in Bible times, a name was a really significant thing because it sort of carried the meaning, the, the character of the person. And God's name reveals who he is. God's name is important. Now, there are lots of names for God in the Bible. For example, El Shaddai, uh, which means the Lord Almighty or El Elyon, which means the most high God, or Elohim, which just means God, or Adonai, which means Lord, Master. Okay, there are different names that are used, and sometimes we get these derivatives, sort of people say Jehovah, uh, um, um, for example, they might say Jehovah Nisi, it's actually Yahweh Nisi, um, and, and that's the Lord is my banner, 
Or there's the phrase which means the Lord is my shepherd. He is. He is our shepherd, isn't he? Or the Lord, he is the one that heals. Or the Lord, our righteousness. So there are many names for God that reveal different aspects of his character. Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. But the big name, of course, that was revealed to Moses, the big name for God that comes first is the name Yahweh. And we find it back in Exodus at the beginning of this very book that we're looking in today. In Exodus 3, do you remember how Moses is at the burning bush and he sees God? Uh, God reveals himself to Moses. And we see there in verses 13 and 14, which I think we can see on the slides, it says, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the Lord your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you were say to say to the Israel, Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And that word I am literally is Yahweh. I am who I am, the self-sufficient one, the one who doesn't depend on anybody else. I just am. I am who I am. That's his name. Yahweh, separate and holy from anything and anybody else. And Moses is reminded that he's standing on holy ground as God reveals his name to him. He has to take his shoes off because this is a holy place. God's name is being revealed to him. And this is a holy moment. Now, the Jews take that very, very seriously. Even to this day, they will not use the name Yahweh. They won't say it in case they desecrate his name when they say it. Uh, and so they might spell uh, the, uh, the tetragrammaton, which is the four letters, the four consonants of the name, but, but without saying uh, the, the A and the E. So, um, but Yahweh, uh, actually, we're not forbidden from using his name. In fact, the Bible encourages us to use his name. God reveals his name to us so that we can use his name. But he wants us to use his name in the right way and not in the wrong way. So how can we use his name in the wrong way? Well, the obvious thing, of course, and this is probably what we'd all think of, wouldn't we, when we hear this command. We'd all think of uh, blasphemy, wouldn't we? Using God's name in a flippant way or in an angry way or in a cursing kind of way. That's probably what we would all think of uh, uh, when we look at this verse. And clearly, I think it does include that. And so, you know, you might be on the golf course and you scuff your tee shot. I'm not looking at Greg or anyone here, uh, uh, in particular. Um, but, you know, and, and you kind of you use God's name. You know, you, you say the name of Jesus as you've done that. Or uh, maybe you're, you're hammering a, a nail and, and you manage to catch, hit your finger and you say, you say his name. Um, and... Those sort of things are discouraged. We're told not to just use his name as an expression of anger, as an expression of arrogance, as an expression that is flippant, as um, a kind of swear word. We're dishonoring God's name when we do that. Now, of course, then we could get into a huge discussion. And I think this is one that I'd encourage you to have during your lunchtime today, if you want to, which is what about all the kind of connected words around God? Are we able to use them? Can we say 
G's or, or can we say, oh my God, or can we say OMG, or can we say golly, which is kind of a derivative of God. Um, and we could get into a whole big discussion. I have that discussion over lunch about which words you think could be used. I, I would say that we should be careful not to get too hooked up on technical questions about these, these words. I would say that just when you're thinking about it, think about a couple of principles. First of all, when you use a particular word, do you intend it to refer to God? Um, I, when I was a lad, I remember my dad telling me off for, for using the word blimey. And uh, he told me that that meant God blind me. And uh, I shouldn't kind of use God's word like that, name like that. Now, he wasn't even a Christian. I'm very grateful that he was making me think about the words I use. Um, but I must admit, sometimes we use words sometimes and we don't think of them as being referring to God. We may say golly, for example, where really... For us, that's just an expression of surprise. The word has taken on its own meaning. It's an expression of surprise. We don't mean by it, you know, God. We, we're, we're saying we're using it differently. So I think the first thing is, what is your intention when you use the word? Because if it's not intended to refer to God, then that's probably okay. And secondly, what about the tone of how you use that word? Are you using it in anger? Are you using it in an arrogant way? Are you using it in a flippant way? Just taking God's name just flippantly. You intend to refer to God and you're just doing it in a very flippant way then I'd say we should think carefully about doing that. But as I say, that's the obvious thing that we can think of when we think of this command, the, the a prohibition against blasphemy. But actually, we could say that's the end of the sermon then. But this verse, I think, takes us deeper than that, much deeper. You see, when we look at this phrase, don't take the Lord's name in vain, the word take means to, to lift up or to carry or to wear. And vain is a reference to emptying something. When you say that something's vain, you, you can say you're meaning that it's kind of empty. And so what we're being told not to do is to empty God's name of its meaning, to carry it in vain, to bear his name in vain, to empty his name of its significance. And that can be applied in one way when we think about perjury, which is when people swear oaths in God's name, but they don't actually mean it. And so I think in the Old Testament, that was part of the prohibition. But it doesn't mean that we can't swear in God's name. In fact, the prophets in the Old Testament would often say, as surely as the Lord lives, invoking God's name to say something serious. And Paul himself in Romans 9, for example, says, God is my witness. So using God's name as a witness uh, uh, is OK. But of course, when you say it, you need to mean it and you're not lying. You know, people say, I swear to God. And then they say something that's not true. You think, well, that's 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 not that's perjury. OK, so I think that is one of the applications that we can look at. So it's blasphemy, it's perjury, but there's one more thing that I think this name is encouraging us not to do or telling us, commanding us not to do. And I think this is probably the deepest and most profound and most searching for many of us. And that is hypocrisy. So there's blasphemy, there's perjury, but hypocrisy is probably the biggest one. And what that means is that we profess one thing 
But we do another thing. So we say we are Christians. If you, if you say that you are a Christian, you may not be. But if you are, if you're a Christian, meaning you're a follower of Christ. We carry his name. We bear his name. So we're a Christian church, so we represent his name. Whereas an individual, you're someone who carries and bears his name. Now, what he doesn't want us to do is to bear that name in an empty way that empties God of his true meaning. Let me give you an example. Imagine if somebody were to decide that they were going to start up a Costa coffee in Church Crookham. Sounds like a good idea to me. And uh, they, they were to take out a franchise with Costa to open a Costa coffee. And let's say that they were to go on their training courses with Costa, find out how to do it the Costa way. Um, and then they were to open their store. And we're all excited and we're thinking, yay, Costa coffee, let's go. And so off we go to Church Crookham's Costa, new Costa coffee shop. And we see all the signage on the outside and we know what we're looking to experience. And then as we walk in, we're a bit surprised. We notice a random collection of garden chairs and tables kind of scattered around inside. And uh, we think, oh, that's a bit unusual. Okay. We go up to the counter and um, the barista sort of looks at us suddenly and says, what do you want? Think. I don't think that's the cost away. That's not how they train their staff. Um, and then um, you, you say, well, um, uh, can I get a flat white, please? And uh, they say, good choice, says Lillian. Yeah. And, they, and they say, oh, well, we've got some instant coffee and we can put some milk in it. If, if, if that'll be flat and white. Uh, it's, it's like, I don't think that's quite what I was expecting. Like, well, how, much, how much will that be then? Oh, eight pounds 50. So, um, okay, this is strange. Um, and uh, then you say, oh, well, they said, do you anything else? You say, oh, uh, could I have a sausage roll, please? And they, they get out a, a Ginster's packet and give you a Ginster's sausage roll. And you're thinking, this, this was not what I was expecting, okay? What's happening here is that this person, this person who's acting in the name of Costa, is bringing down the name of Costa, emptying the name of Costa by the way that they are presenting the Costa uh, image to people. And that's a very serious thing. You can imagine that if the uh, bosses of Costa were to come uh, or to find out about this, there would be serious repercussions. They would instantly close it because their reputation is at stake. This matters what people think of Costa. And if this is the impression people are going to get, or at best they may think, well, it might be good, it might be bad, that's not good. And so it's a very serious thing because our reputation matters, doesn't it? That's why slander and libel is such a big thing. There's huge damages for people whose name is slandered or, or libeled because, because their reputation is being affected. And so God says he takes it very seriously. In fact, in this verse, it says, I will not hold guiltless anyone who bears my name in vain. And that is a slight understatement. Do you get it? I won't bear, uh, I won't um, hold anyone guiltless. It's a bit like someone saying to you, someone in authority looking at you saying, I wouldn't do that if I were you. You're like, hmm, there's a lot behind what you just said. I wouldn't do that if I were you. And God said, I won't hold anyone guiltless who carries my name 
but actually gives it gives me a bad name. I can remember listening, watching an athlete on television recently, a runner, and he won uh, a medal, and he did brilliantly. And uh, he was being interviewed afterwards, and he just said, oh, well, I, I, I love to carry the family name. And I thought it was a lovely way of him expressing it, that he wanted to honour his family name by the way that he conducted himself out on the sports field. Now, we are Christians who want to honour our father's name, our family name, the name of Christ. But the Bible tells us often that that's what, unfortunately, his people failed to do. And so, for example, we just whip through a few verses here in Isaiah 29, 13. It says there, uh, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They claim but actually they don't live up to it. Or how about Ezekiel 36, which says, therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says, it is not for your sake, people of Israel, I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. These people carried his holy name, but gave God a bad name because of their terrible behavior. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, he says. Okay. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is speaking, and these are sobering words. He says there in verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name? drive out demons, and in your name we performed many miracles, then I'll plainly say to you, I never knew you. These people not actually knowing God, just doing things in his name. There's one other verse in Titus chapter 1 and verse 16 that talks about these people who were kind of um, around, and Paul says of them, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. <coughs> And that's what God is uh, angry about, if you like. Now, we, it's quite searching for us, isn't it? As we think about this for ourselves. And um, we can think, as a church, it's really important that we give God a good name by the way that we teach, the way that we behave, the way that we are, the way that we worship. We want to represent God the very best way that we can as his church so important that we seek to do that. And then, of course, for us as individuals, we also, by our lifestyles, we want to show through the way that we are patient, the way that we're gracious, the way that we're loving, the way that we're forgiving, the way that we're compassionate, the way that we have hopefully high moral standards, the way that we hopefully have integrity in the workplace or wherever, that we have honesty, that, that we have purity, that we watch our words, that we watch our actions. We want to be good representatives of Christ, don't we? And I know that's your heart. I know that's what you will want to do. And I also know that we fail to do it, which is why this law is like a mirror. You look and you think, oh, no, 
And then you go, thank you, Christ, that you died for me so that I could be forgiven. And now, Lord, I want to try my best. I want, with your help, by the power of your spirit, I want to honour your name. But we don't get condemned. We don't get complacent. But we look to Christ and we know that he is there to help us to become more and more like God in our behaviour. But finally, I just want to mention one other thing here with this uh, searching commandment. Because, of course, there is a negative side. It says, don't carry his name in vain. But I think there's a positive side to that as well, of course. All the commandments are expressed in a negative way. So, for example, don't commit adultery. But what that means is we do want to be faithful in our marriages. There's a positive side. And this command has a positive side as well. We don't want to use his name in vain negatively, but in a positive way, we do want to lift up his name and to have his name honoured in our lives and by those around us. I love this verse that um, is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And maybe this could be your prayer for yourself today and for all of us. Paul says, with this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God's and Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, I pray that you are fruitful Christians. I'm praying that every deed you do that's prompted by faith, every step you take that is prompted by a desire to honour God will be fruitful. And as a result, as people look at what we're doing as a church, as we're doing as individuals, they will honour, they will glorify his name. Let's make that our prayer for ourselves. And we find in the book of Acts that God's name is used so many times in a positive way. You know, God's name is such a wonderful thing. Jesus is the Lord. He is the one who is the fulfillment. And As you look in Acts, for example, just very quickly, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 21, it says there, um, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If we just call on his name, that's enough. Just to say, God, help, Jesus, forgive, that's enough. His name is powerful. It says in chapter 2 and verse 38, It says, Peter replied to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You know, folks, there is forgiveness, complete forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. And so in chapter 3 and verse 6, Peter meets a man who is lame, um, has been lame from birth, And there in uh, chapter three and verse six, Peter says, silver or gold, I don't have. But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk in his name. And the guy is healed. He jumps to his feet full of joy. 
It tells us in chapter 4 of Acts, and verse 12, it says there, um, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven or earth given to men by which we must be saved. By his name, we have been saved. And so the uh, apostles are praying in chapter 4, verse 30, and they pray and they ask God to stretch out his hands um, and do wonderful, powerful things in his name. And then in chapter 8 of uh, this book of Acts, in eight, chapter 8, verse 12, uh, there is Simon, uh, Peter, uh, and uh, it says there, when they had believed Philip... As he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of, of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Do you see that? Jesus' name is good news. When they preached the good news of the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord is good news. He is a strong tower. Do you know that, that wonderful passage that says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. We find safety in his name. We can cling on to his name. We can trust in his name. We can put our hope completely in his name because in his name, we find forgiveness. In his name, we find love. In his name, we find new life and new hope. We find peace. We find that he is our shepherd as we look to him and his name. It's wonderful news. Jesus Christ is wonderful news. It's good news, news that we want to share, news that we want to get out to people by the way we live and by the words that we speak. Let's be those who want his name to be lifted up in our lives, in Church Crookham, in Fleet, in Odium, in the villages around us. We're here so that his name might be lifted up. We're not here to exalt our name, but we want his name. Jesus said, pray this prayer, hallowed be your name. Lord, may your name be hallowed. Not disused, not flippantly, just callously thrown around by unbelieving hearts. But may your name be lifted up and honestly used in reverence and fear and trust and hope, trusting fully in him. I love what it says in Psalm 20 and verse 7. Some trust in horses. We had this reading at the beginning. Some trust in chariots. But we Trust in the name of the Lord our God. They're brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. We trust in his name, we can stand firm. When we're struggling, when we're like that tree that's being blown around, we trust in his name. He's the one that can hold us firm so that we can stand firm in his wonderful name.